1: So you can wait to your death and see if you've lived good enough to deal with sin. I'm just going to tell you, you're not going to, or you can say, Hey Jesus, I'm not going to do this. I can't do this. There's a no way in my life that I'm going to do this. So I'm just going to depend on your death. I'm going to depend on that you're going to pay the bill for me. Welcome to the Barnabas effect To 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. And I want you to understand before I do anything else the big picture. This is what I want you to get as a result of the time we spend. Every single one of us, every person who lives, must make a conscious and a daily decision who's gonna get the glory in my little corner of the world? Who am I living for? What is the end? What is my goal? The truth is every one of us will one day cross the line. The Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die and then comes a judgment. Every one of us will die, but not every one of us finish well. Not every one of us accomplish the goal that God has for us. I believe God's goal for you and his goal for me is that we live in an awareness of his glory and all that that means. I, I'm reminded, I walk in this challenge of having spent a large portion of my life studying God's Word and, and even some of the original languages in which it's written and, and some of the terminology that we use, yet recognizing a lot of that we don't use in our daily life today. We, we don't often walk around using even that word glory in our daily life. What does that mean Well, if you you look in just any dictionary, you see that glory just speaks to a praise and and an honor and a distinction. So uh, last night, two teams, two teams last night walked away with the glory in the final four basketball tournament. And, and one of them on Monday night will walk away with the glory, with the honor, with the distinction of being the number one team of, of having that honor. Biblically speaking, glory really deals with the weightiness of the character of God. So as you journey through the old Testament, you can see just the incredible significance of the glory that surrounded the places in, in which the presence of God dwelled. And so whether it would be the tent or, or the tabernacle or or the temple, you, you would see that there was even great danger in the presence of the glory of God. When Moses had been in the presence of God, the glory shone on him so much so that people could see that he had been around God. And that, that really is the end game, isn't it? That we live our life in such a way. When I get to the end, I want to have lived my life in such a way, not that uh, they would say, man, Paul uh, pastored a great church or that that Paul wrote a book or or that Paul did this or that. I I want to live in such a way that it could be said and Paul lived in the presence and the glory of God. Amen. I mean, that really is what we're after. But that doesn't come automatically. That's what Scripture says God desires. God desires to get glory in this world, in His church, in your life. But that only happens as you make a conscious decision every day to say, God, right where I live, at my address, in my little corner of the world, you are going to get the praise, the honor, the distinction. It's not about me. It's all about you. You either live to give God glory or you'll take glory that is rightly his. You will be a glory thief You can't have it both ways. This is illustrated as we study in the Old Testament, but as as we see the impact even in the book of Genesis of the fall of the the fallen angel, Lucifer, Uh, why was he cast out of the heavens? What did he want that was not his? He wanted the glory of God. He wanted that which did not belong to him. He wanted that which only God deserved. So the committed Christ follower, and every time we're gathered, and and, and those of you that are watching, whether at our church, Terrace Church, Six Mile, or watching online, or or right here in this room, every one of us are in one of two categories. Either we've we've stepped across that faith line, and, and we've begun a relationship with Jesus Christ that changed our eternity, and is changing our present, or... You, we're not yet in that category. And if you're not yet in that category, this is not my words, but the Word of God teaches that, that you are still living in a state in which you're separated from, from God and, and you don't have access to all of His goodness. And the end result, if left in that state, is that you spend eternity separated from Him. And, and the Bible even describes that specifically and calls it a place called hell. But if you're a Christ follower, you make a conscious decision to live today for God's glory, even when, even if you don't understand his plan, even when you can't see his plan and even if you can't trace his hand. And I love the way Eugene Peterson is actually a a pastor and a great theologian, but a number of years ago he... He paraphrased the scripture and the idea of a paraphrase is, is not that you take the Greek or the Hebrew and, and you just go word for word and get every grammatical thing, but, but that you're really trying to help us understand it in today's language. Listen to how he, how he paraphrased first Peter four, verse 12 and 13. Friends, when life gets really difficult, don't jump to the conclusion that God isn't on the job. Instead, be glad that you're in the very thick of what Christ experienced. This is a spiritual refining process with glory just around the corner. I I want you to think about that idea of glory around the corner and I, I want you to ask... What God might have in store for you right around the corner, right there in your little corner of the world, if only you'll determine to live for his glory. It's that time of year, isn't it? Well, we didn't have winter. Nowhere around had much of a winter unless you went way up north. But it's that time of year where we go to our second season. We only have two here, right? So when it's 90 at the end of March, you you know, uh, you're, you're heading into summer, but we still have to, we have to do spring cleaning. And I'm telling you, my garage has a magnetic pull and no matter how many times it is cleaned, it just attracts stuff. And I, I mean, bad stuff, stuff straight from the pit. I mean, stuff that needs to be discarded. And, and so there are areas around my house where I, I've even thought early this morning, maybe today, maybe I can get up from that nap and do some spring cleaning. It's time for a little spring cleaning in our lives spiritually today. That's what Peter is getting at as we journey through 1 Peter 4. Hey, even in the house of God, he says, there comes a time where you have to recognize that judgment is necessary. So to do a little spring cleaning, I just want to ask you a couple questions to get us started. What are you living for? What's driving you, your motivation in life? What wakes you up in the morning? Are you living for God's glory? Or are you living for your glory? How do you tell? Well, what do you think about most? What do you daydream about? Uh, really, this is a good indicator of whether or not you're a glory thief. What are your daydreams? Do you ever just sit and, and daydream about maybe that car that you could have. Um, I remember watching Magnum PI, <laughs> and, <laughs> and and now, just to tell you my age, he's doing senior adult commercials. But um, <laughs> I remember his Ferrari, and and so some of you, you just. You're thinking about. It may not be a car, but it's that prize. That's what you're living for. Maybe it's a boat. Maybe it's the next set of golf clubs, or or gun, or 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 fishing rod. Maybe it's that next outfit. I don't don't know, but but it's something that you're living for. Or others of you, maybe it's that perfect relationship, isn't it? And so you're you're thinking about. and if we could just, my marriage could just get here, or if I would just find this person. And unfortunately, you're, you're dealing with a premise that is just wrong, because there's, there's not going to be a perfect marriage, and you're not going to find the perfect person, because, hello, we're not perfect people the Bible says all of us have sinned and we've fallen short. We've, we've missed God's design, his mark. That's what separated us from God. If we are Christ followers, that's what God did for us on the cross as he dealt with that sin, but, but we have not reached perfection. And and so some of you, you really do. That's your daydream. You're you're thinking of that person or you're married. This this is a problem. A a lot are are married, but you're, you're still just dreaming about this ideal that has become
0: your glory thief. If you've just joined us, you're listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. Video of the message you're listening to is available when you click the Watch tab at missionhillchurch.com. Thanks for sharing time with us and for sharing your financial gifts by clicking the Give button at missionhillchurch.com. And now, with more of today's message,
1: here's Pastor Paul Purvis. Or maybe you 're thinking about that one day. maybe it's retirement. The internet was um, a buzz last week. I think it was just replaying a message from John Piper from many years ago where he talked about not wasting your life and and thinking about. That you're just living for that moment. And he gave the example. It's funny. I was living down there at the time. He gave the example of retiring and walking along the seashore in Punta Gorda, Florida. and Picking up seashells. And then so maybe for you, it's, it's the, that retirement house with the white picket fence. Just getting to the right place. Just checking all the boxes and say, we've arrived. We've done it. Now that's it. it Is that what you're living for? I mean, is that really what this is all about? Is that why God, if any of this, if we're not wasting our time and there is a God in the universe who really does care about us individually, is that why he's put us here? Just to focus on us. Are you living for the glory of God, or are you consumed with the things that can only satisfy you and bring you glory? That's what we're going to talk about as we jump through this chapter. Now, I've told you, we could have spent four or five months on 1 Peter. We're we're covering it in five weeks, one week a chapter, and, and so it, it's... Going to be some jumping around, but I, I want to walk you through here. And there are four things I'm going to mention. So just listen to these four, and then we'll begin with the first and the second. I, I'm going to tell you how Peter reminds us that, that we should live passionately. And then he's going to talk about that we love recklessly. And then he's going to remind us that we give generously. And then he, he's going to sum it all up by, by telling us that the, we have to endure patiently. And that gets back to kind of where we have started that, that some of you are caught up in the fiery trial. The difficulty and that difficulty is what's keeping you from the glory that's around the corner so i'm excited about b- ending there but but let's begin by talking about this truth live passionately say live passionately yeah. live passionately for this is the will of god listen to first peter chapter four beginning in verse one so then so in light of this he's saying now what's this he just told us about the gospel. First Peter three ended with the truth of the gospel that Christ died for our sins once and for all. And when Christ died for our sins, paying that penalty, taking our punishment, when he did that, it changed everything. So Peter's saying, so then since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourself with the same attitude he had and be ready to suffer too. Since Christ suffered physical pain, you arm yourself. That word arm yourself literally is a militant term. It's the same kind of terminology that's used in Ephesians 6 when Paul, another apostle, is, is talking about the spiritual battles that we face. You know what I recognize in the church today? We underestimate the reality of spiritual battle. Amen. Particularly in my faith journey and I, i've talked about this a bunch in the last year because god's really working in my life about this I, I think we've been so afraid of the abuse of this conversation The abuse is that every time you get a flat tire the devil's out to get, you No, you may have just run over a nail Or every time your engine breaks down uh, the devil's out to get, you No, you might not have changed the oil So we don't want to go to that extreme but If god's word is true, we are in the midst of spiritual battle do you realize that? All you have to do is live at my house on any weekend to understand that. The most intense times of spiritual battle in my life often take place on Saturday night and on Sunday morning. I'm, I'm just, I want to be vulnerable with you. It, it's, it's so easy for my wife and I, who I deeply love to just, to get in an argument or, or to have a... Uh, heated fellowship discussion over, (laughs) over the dumbest things on Saturday nights. And on Sunday morning, I can, I can never get it all done. I, I have a few different physical things that I struggle with. And the guys I pray with know that it's not unusual that I'm texting in and saying, Hey, this is going on. And and so it's put me behind or or sometimes I just can't focus. This morning I sat down and put my socks on and, and then I put my shoes on. And then I looked down and recognized I hadn't put my pants on. I mean, there, that's a true story. True story. (laughs) Thankful for you, I put my pants on. So, I mean, spiritual battles. Did Peter understand this? You bet your bottom dollar he did. His Lord had looked him in the eye and said, Peter, Satan desires you. Now, you know how he really said that. He says he desires to sift you. Just think, can I paraphrase that? He wants to rip you to shreds. In in Proverbs, in in talking about one of the examples where we can fall spiritually in sexual sin, it, it talks about how the adulterous woman desires the precious life where do we ever think that if we've just walked down an aisle or we've raised our hand or we've said a a prayer or we've been dunked in a baptistry that everything's just going to be okay and and we're not going to have problems and we're not going to struggle with temptation and we're not going to sin and that mentality creates a legalism that causes us to wear masks and then when we don't live up we're afraid to come to church because we think the people there won't understand and yet we don't realize they're all wearing wearing masks too So in case you're visiting today, let me just tell you, this is not a museum for saints. This is a hospital for sinners. We're not there yet. We daily need the grace and the goodness and the mercy of Jesus Christ. And so Peter understood this, I think, and he said, hey guys, arm yourself. It's a militant attitude. He, he understood that their outlook determined their outcome. Have you ever heard this phrase, it, it doesn't take long to get used to the dark? When I was in high school, I worked in an outdoor camp, and occasionally we would just, man, we would go camping out in the middle of nowhere mountains, South Carolina. And uh, it would get dark. <laughs> and there are times when it, when it would first get dark, that you couldn't see anything or anybody. You, you wouldn't know where your tent was. You, you didn't know where the other guys were. I was in charge of folks. I wouldn't know where those younger guys were. But then your eyes begin to adjust. And I, I think one thing Peter is saying, hey, beware of the spiritual battle because we get used to the dark. Hello, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and we start giving in to things that we have no business giving into. So I just want to mention that in passing. And then he continues for if you've suffered physically with Christ, you have finished with sin. What? What does he mean? If we haven't stopped sinning, we've already said that, that that doesn't happen. We don't reach perfection, but he does say you're finished with sin. You know what that means? It has no dominion over you. It has no power over you. A friend texted me the other day today, and he texted me a phrase. And then he said, are you old enough to remember Flip Wilson? Now, when I was growing up, I grew up in a pastor's home and, and my parents, I mean, they sheltered me quite a bit. I mean, my mom, every time we we're in the car, we we're listening to, to Christian music and it wasn't the good Christian music like I listen to today. I mean, it was, uh, I mean, it was almost classical music. And so we only had two things in our house that really exposed me to the world. I don't know why they were there, but in our big old stereo cabinet, we had some records and there were two records. Raise your hand if you know what a record is. (laughs) Okay, so there were two records. And um, one was the Statler Brothers. (laughs) And I would, when they weren't home, I'd put them on and listen to the Statler Brothers. And it was fun. And so, um, and then one was Flip Wilson. The devil made me buy that dress. And so this this comedian was kind of known for this uh, one routine they blamed it on the devil. And, and so a lot of times in our lives, we look at the sin choices we make and we say, I can't help it. I, I, I'm. What he's saying is not that, that you will never sin, but you don't have to be a slave to sin. Because what Christ did on the cross, he, he defeated death and sin. So, you won't spend the rest of your lives chasing after your own desires, but you'll be anxious to do the will of God. I was reminded yesterday, and a lot of this is just overflow. I was reminded yesterday of a great quote that tells us, God satisfied in Jesus all the desire that he's placed in us. So, we have desire. But Christ satisfied that in Jesus, so we don't then have to live for our desires, but we're anxious to do the will of God. So we live passionately, for this is the will of God. And then in verse 3, you've had enough of the past of the evil things that godless people enjoy, their immorality and lust, their feasting and drunkenness, wild parties, their terrible worship of idols. So in verse two, he says, be anxious to do the will of God. Why is this? Because in light of this spiritual battle, Peter is reminding us that a Christ follower who is living in sin is a terrible weapon in the hands of the enemy. It really is. You don't believe that. Just wait till the next time you hear about a pastor who's messed up. Now, if we read the Bible, we shouldn't be surprised because um, we're all sinners, right? And I need you to just understand this again. This pastor, when he remembers to do it, he puts his pants on just like you. <laughs> when I remember to do it. We're sinners. But, but you want to see how overcome we are with this reality of, of the tools of the enemy? Man, see how it impacts us when... When someone who professes Christ falls down. So what is Peter saying? He's saying first in this passage, if you're going to live passionately and be anxious to do the will of God, you've got to, you, you've got to recognize the cost of your sin. And the cost of our sin is what? Yeah, death. yeah it, it is death. The wages of sin is death. So every one of us has got a gamble to make. Well, you can choose to live with a gamble. You can pay the price or or you can let Jesus take care of your bill because the cost is death. So you can wait to your death and see if you've lived good enough to deal with sin. I'm just going to tell you, you're not going to, or you can say, Hey Jesus, I'm not going to do this. I can't do this. There's a no way in my life that I'm going to do this. So I'm just going to depend on your death. I'm going to depend that you're going to pay the bill for me.